The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Happy Halloween. So I'm just reading this here from uh, newsbusters.org. Uh, Hamas beheads hostage. Press claims Israel not following following laws of war. On Monday, multiple news outlets reported about the German-Israeli civilian woman who was kidnapped by her, uh, Hamas from the music festival on October 7th, who was beheaded and dragged through the streets. But during the White House press briefing, uh, with uh, John Kirby later that day, most of the liberal questionnaires were more concerned about whether or not is, uh, Israel was uh, the, was the side violating the rules of uh, war. Here's just a part. I'm going to play a couple of uh, clips uh, here of some of the questions that were asked. As the IDF enters this sort of next phase of this conflict, you know, the president again urged Prime Minister Netanyahu to act in a manner consistent with international humanitarian law. Does the president still feel, or does he feel that, that Israel is abiding by the rules of war? But the uh, a terrorist, I might add, terrorists, I might add, that are using innocent Palestinians as human shields. But is the president concerned that Israel is going to break the rules of war, and if not, why does the president feel the need to repeatedly bring this up? And it seems every conversation that he has with him, because it's something that even the prime minister brings up in the conversation. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N. said that we should not be numb to the suffering of Palestinians, whether it's the journalists, ordinary people, or aid workers. The number now is 53. Every time we sit here, the number goes up. And also, the Save the Children Fund um, said that the number of children was killed in Gaza is more than the whole world conflict since 2019. So why getting your message, you keep saying that we don't want civilians to die, and you ask Israel to exercise restraint and to abide by international law. Why getting your message is not getting through to the people in the Middle East? They actually, basically, they don't believe that the U.S. is doing enough to protect civilians. Okay, and they keep going through the questions. Newsbusters mm-hmm. are going through all the the, the, the the questions. And this is this is where the Hamas propaganda is, is just 
being promoted big time by uh, members of the uh, mainstream media out yeah. there. Yeah. I will say the first reporter that asked the question, it seemed like she was saying, why does the president keep bringing it up? Why does the president keep bringing up that Israel needs to abide by the rules of law? And then Kirby responded, well, Netanyahu's saying the same thing. No, Netanyahu is responding to those saying, are you sure you're going to abide by the rules of of, uh, you know, the the rules of uh, war, you know, after we saw the, the butchery of the Hamas terrorists that still continues today. The what and, and so this is where we criticize the president severely instead of saying Israel needs what to do what they have to do. And in war, civilians are going to be killed. And in an urban war where you have the uh, terrorists that will use human shields uh, that will build their bunkers under hospitals. There is going to be, in an urban setting, there are going to be civilian casualties. There is not one. I don't know of one report, do you, Eric, of uh, the IDF targeting civilians? No. So what are they saying? What they're saying is you can hear it. Well, the numbers of children that are reported being killed here, the numbers and numbers, that the numbers dictate the fact, the numbers of casualties to these reporters and to uh, members of the squad, professors on on, uh, U.S. campuses, many young people, that the numbers tell the story, the numbers don't tell the story. Well, first of all, uh, much of the numbers are coming from Gaza, coming from Hamas. When you look at it, for what it is, it is the Hamas playbook, and they knew it was going to go down like this. They knew that Israel would be forced to, because it's the way Israel behaves, but the Western world would also call on Israel to at least give people some time. And what they were hoping was exactly what's playing out now. Once they hesitate, once they wait, now the world is going to come down on Israel, as if Israel is the one who attacked first, as if Israel targets civilians. I mean, it's it, it is it's like we'll just believe anything. It's like we'll just buy into it and go with it. Let's make an uh, a, let's make a sign, and let's become activists. Pro-Hamas activists. And that's what you're seeing now. And you're seeing a lot of that right now from uh, some liberal reporters and the White House. And some of the world reporters, it was like after Kirby reiterated that the U.S. does not believe that the ceasefire is the right answer right now because it benefits Hamas. The reporter demanded to know if he was scared that support for Israel's right to exist would make the U.S. a pariah state. Hmm. Are you not afraid of being isolated in this? I mean, at being at odds with the international community? The final pro-Hamas question came from the Wall Street Journal's hmm. Sabrina Sadiqwa, uh, who whined about Israel cutting Internet and phone communication in Gaza in order to hamstring the terrorist group's ability to organize as an effective resistance to their ground operations. She suggested without evidence that that was a violation of the laws of war. And so this is where, you know, this is where you're getting right now that Israel can defend itself and go after Hamas uh, as long 
as they follow our, whatever their laws of war are, our laws of war, which is, and I, 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 that's actually, a, I should, which is, I should put that in a question, which mm-hmm. is, and they can't tell you what it is. Well, they'll what, move what the it, goalposts every single day. Basically, right. what they're saying is Israel should not act at all. Right. Because civilians will be killed. And yep. so if you say, well, we know civilians will be killed in any type of urban war, are you suggesting that if civilians are killed, you know, what is your qualification as to, because nobody asked them, nobody, nobody asked the reporters, what are you stating as the law of war? What is the law of war? What, and, and you keep stating that Israel is breaking that. Specifically, what are they breaking? And Kirby, by just answering the question, does not destroy their premise to begin with. Right. Because he doesn't destroy the premise saying, well, that's not, you know, civilians being killed is not, you know, you it may be horrible, but that isn't, again, civilians, in, well, you know, collateral damage will happen. And when you're in the tunnels where they have hostages and they're using them as human shields, there are civilians that are going to be killed. I mean, that's the reality of war. Yeah, it's and quite if, unfortunate. But the other option is to say what? And this is really where the left is going. That Israel should not act. They started that at the beginning. Everything needs to be stopped immediately. That was right after Israel was attacked. And the reason is because they knew Israel will have to go after Hamas. Mm -hmm. There's no way they won't. And the left is making it look like Israel is the aggressor. Well, even the president, by stating and continuing to lecture Israel that has not knowingly violated, I don't know, one story where they have violated the laws of war. Right. One, right. I don't know of an accusation yet. Right. It's simply civilians are being killed. That needs to stop. Right. And the fact of the continuing, and the one reporter, I believe it was maybe C, kept bringing up, why does Biden keep saying that over and over and over again? Does he feel Israel is not doing it? No, that's where he's riding the tightrope. Yes, we want, we believe in Israel's right to exist. They need to be able to defend their own territory, but they can't go too far. And by saying it over and over again, you're implying you don't trust Israel to do the right thing. And that's where he's riding this fine line here. Mm-hmm. And that feeds into the anti-Semitism that, okay, oh, yeah. it is the Jews, so you you know they're not going to abide you know they're going to go out and just kill innocent Palestinians because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's what it's about. That's the message that is being sent. We're not stupid here. And it was inevitable it would be this. It would be the world looking at Israel as the bad guy yep. for defending themselves. And that is growing every single day in the media, every day in the media. Look at the headlines. Look at what the media is covering. They're taking propaganda sent to them, sent to the world from Hamas and printing it, running with it. While wagging their finger at Israel 
don't do anything. Yeah, Israel doesn't have a choice. No, and it's going to be extremely brutal and extremely bloody. And it's likely and going to go on for a while. Yeah, and civilians are going to be killed. Yes. That's reality of when you have to fight a war like this. Right. Because you're, you're fighting respond- an enemy like and, Hamas. And, and dare I say, if somebody was lecturing Biden, if the United States was attacked like that, to make sure we were following the laws of war, he'd blow up over those questions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've got the media and even the president holding is, or, you know, wanting to hold Israel to a standard or a suspicion that he would never allow for his administration if we were attacked and went to war. Mm-hmm. 866-90-RED-EYE. This morning's USDA Farm Report is brought to you by Howes Products. Tested, trusted, guaranteed since 1920. What might the El Nino climate pattern expected to dominate this winter's weather in our country mean from an agricultural standpoint? USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey starts with western water supplies for irrigation, where water storage was boosted by last winter's significant precipitation accumulation. However, some of the biggest reservoirs, especially those in the Colorado River Basin and in the Rio Grande, remain critically low following a generation of drought going back 20 to 25 years or more. And El Nino could lead to drier than normal conditions in parts of the Pacific Northwest. We'll have to keep an eye on the Columbia River Basin and some of the smaller waterways in the Northwest for potential signs of developing drought or intensifying drought. El Nino is also expected to lend itself to favorable conditions for winter wheat and livestock for most of the country this winter. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. This report brought to you by Cenex Fuels and Loops. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed. Brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. Bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. 
It's Red Eye Radio. Uh, he's Eric Crowley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Well, I guess Farmageddon uh, started yesterday. I didn't hear anything locally about that here in Texas. Yeah, so you got, uh, you know, pharmacists and pharmacy workers uh, at the major pharmacies that basically are saying we don't have what we need. You know, this is something that actually happened at the retail level. Uh Man, it goes back a series of months now, I think at the beginning of the summer, probably, when a couple of the retail pharmacies said, we're going to be scaling back our hours because we don't have enough manpower. Uh, I know my pharmacy went to, I think it does 97 now, but they close at 7. They used to be open till, I think, 9 p.m., 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Or 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. That's what it was at one point. And now they just can't find the workers. They can't find enough pharmacy techs. And even with the shortened hours, they're still working overtime. I don't know what you do. I mean, you know, you can you can raise salaries. You can try and make it as attractive as possible to get people in there and start them training. But in terms of being a pharmacist, well, obviously that requires a lot of school and years of training. That's not going to happen overnight. Uh, One of the organizers of the walkout told Reuters that as many as 5,000 pharmacy workers would walk out across the three days, but said the exact number of affected stores and participating staff was not clear. Hmm. One of the things they're talking about, too, is that you know, the COVID booster thing. Yeah. Uh, they've been pushing that a lot. And they say, we're behind on filling prescriptions in a lot of cases because we have so many uh, of the of the vaccines to do along the way. You know, when you don't have uh, the proper staffing, you're just going to have to decide what the hours are going to be, basically. And- that was in the next sense here. He pointed to grossly understaffed stores where employees have to fill not only prescriptions, but also look at appointments and walks, walk-ins for immunization yeah. as one of the triggers for the action. In September, some staff from CVS stores in Kansas City went on a two-day strike while there were was another by a Wegman store employees. Earlier this month, pharmacy staff in New York and Pennsylvania were planning to participate, including workers at some Walgreens uh, stores in uh, in uh, New York. Some pharmacists were also planning to conduct rallies outside CVS's headquarters in Rhode Island and Walgreens in Illinois, according to social media posts. I haven't heard anything about it here locally in uh, in Texas. But no. what do you do when it's a shortage of staff and you can't find people? What's I don't, the solution? I don't know. I mean, because if you look. In the major metro areas, uh, we have two CVS locations within a couple of miles. I mean, you know, they're they're everywhere. So you have to you have to properly staff each of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I I really don't know what the answer is because you can train a tech. I mean, you're going to want the, they've got to know what they're doing. You know, you can't just, it's got to be somebody that has the proper training. I don't know how long that takes. 
And I don't know what the the parent companies are going to do here. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the pharmacy or, or the pharmacists and the pharmacy workers believe the parent companies can do. When there's a shortage of workers, I can't tell you the remedy in something like this. They have to be highly qualified on every level in a pharmacy. You can't make mistakes. And so I don't know. I don't know where it goes. But this is something that started essentially coming out of COVID. And I don't know what happened. I don't know where you had so many uh, pharmacy workers that just decided they weren't going to do that. I mean, we saw it in the service industry uh, for restaurants and and other types of um, service outlets. But when it comes to pharmacies, I assume, and I, I don't know, I assume that it pays pretty well, especially for the larger retailers, that it's going to be comparable pay across the board. Why is there no interest in that? Why did they lose so many people? That would be the question. What's behind all that? You know, is it just quiet quitting? Yeah, I know the pharmacists make good money. What are the what does a pharmacist tech make? I don't know. I wonder what the because a pharmacist can make a you know a hundred grand, hundred and twenty five grand yeah. depends on the you know the uh, experience and and the employer, but. I don't know what a tech makes. Well, problem is you probably have to pass drug screening. Well, there's that too, <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the solution here. I really don't. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios. And he's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight, which is the preferred way. McDonald's on Monday reported that its revenue was up 14% in the latest quarter. Why? Strategic menu price increases. Uh, Let me see. However, they did not disclose how much they had increased its prices, which generally vary between locations. Look at this here. One Hmm. branch in Darien, Connecticut, according to the New York Post, charged as much as $18 for a Big Mac combo meal. Medium fries, medium soft drink, yeah. Big Mac, yeah. 18 bucks. Yeah. No, it's getting really expensive. Wow. It's getting really expensive. Wow. And, you know, I looked at prices, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. 
just think thinking about ordering something and going to pick it up, not even having having it delivered. I was like, nah. I can make a meal here if I have to. It's just getting and and there's you know, there's a reason behind it. It's inflation. Mm-hmm. It's the cost of putting that meal together. But that's not the cheap, you know, ninety nine cent value menu anymore at all. Uh, a value meal at McDonald's now costs just as much as a meal mm. at a lot of sit down restaurants like yeah. Applebee's. One right. user claimed. Yeah. Remember when McMuffins were two or three dollars? Mm. The McDonald's app in New York City, for example, where the one, two, and three dollar menu that they have on the app actually doesn't have anything available for. Yeah. Last month, the uh, Chicago-based food giant announced that uh, franchise uh, people that open up new franchises, franchisees, uh, would now have to pay an increased royalty fee of five percent. The first time in nearly. 30 years that McDonald's has increased the fee, Hmm. which, again, they pass on right to the consumer. Yeah. No, I I went through a drive-through. This goes back. It was sometime over the summer, uh, a couple of months ago. Two chicken tacos and a medium diet drink. Thirteen and a half bucks. I'll tell you at a place that the has a pretty reasonable uh place that I only I only go by there because uh when I'm near my dad's and need something to eat that that isn't you know carb heavy mm. it's a taco place right around the corner and I used to get their sm- two small tacos mm-hmm. that were about a dollar 35 each mm-hmm. they weren't expensive this is pre covid now it's like 6 bucks yeah yeah And so you're talking about almost a three times increase. Now, six bucks still for the two tacos didn't seem bad, but I realized, oh my gosh. Well, by comparison, yeah, it's yeah, just they, crazy. Yeah, they, they they used. They used well, to be a I lot just cheaper. I decided to compare receipts, and you know, on some of the delivery apps, uh, you know, fast food or restaurant delivery or grocery delivery, you can go back and 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 your receipts are stored. You can go back and review your receipts. And the increase is significant. You go back to 2020, and that's how far I could go back mm-hmm. on the one app. And it was incredible. And I thought to myself, well, at some point, they can't sustain that. You can only pass the, the cost along to the point that the market will bear. And while the third quarter GDP looked good, driven by consumer spending, that's not going to continue. It can't continue. And you didn't see the business spending, and that's the key. You've got more and more analysts. I've seen more analysts over the last two weeks warn of recession in 24 than I've seen in a long time. And this is what happens. The Fed... If they were serious about, and I've said Jerome Powell is not, if they were serious about inflation, they would have been more aggressive on interest rates. Well, they're not going to move on the uh, November meeting. 
They may not move in December. And so what do you have? Now you have consumers. The spending is still too hot, which means more inflation. And the only way to get on top of that inflation is to raise the interest rates to the point where you start seeing people laid off. And that's what analysts are looking at now. They're saying by mid-year next year. We'll see, I guess. Well, you know, you, you saw that uh, the GDP up because of increasing consumer spending. We know that credit card debt is at a record high. We've mm-hmm. talked about yep. the problem now with automobile loans mm-hmm. out there. Delinquencies. And delinquencies. Mm-hmm. And, and now uh, uh, this from USA Today, more people are making hardship withdrawals from their 401k accounts, rating retirement funds to cover uh, emergency spending. Hardship withdrawals from Fidelity have tripled in five years, according to a report from Fidelity. The share of planned participants withdrawing money rose from 2.1% in 2018 to 6.9% in 2023. It's a big problem, and it's a growing uh, problem. Hmm. Vanguard reports that hardship withdrawals have doubled in a four-year span from a monthly rate of 2.1 transi- transactions per 1,000 participants in 2018 to 4.3 in 2022. And the thing is, when you look at that percentage, odds are it's not the same people taking out every year. So if you take mm-hmm. that, if you take that it's gone up to 6.9% and continues it, odds are there's a lot of you know, new people in there, right. you know, taking that, you know, withdrawal that they need right now. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that and you extrapolate that over a three or four year period, are you talking 20 to 25% of people have tapped into their 401k? Well, it could be because of the rules that, uh, you know, regarding hardship withdrawals, you're going to be limited in, in, in how many times you can uh, do that. It's, you know, so that means you're going to have that basically that uh, growing number of people that are doing that. But again, it's inevitable because once you borrow to the point that you can no longer borrow, you've got to go to the next thing. And I know I think of it now, uh, thank goodness, uh, last year I paid off my mortgage. Mm -hmm. So one less thing I don't have any car payments. Right. You know, I've got a really, really good job here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's the tough part working with you, but uh, wow. it's, a, it's a good job. What but, are you going to do? But I still, I still have never lost that, you know, the value you have for money. But the value you have for money is, you know, you look at it, inflation can drastically change your outlook. Well, it can get to the point, the tipping point, the threshold point, where you look at it and say, because if you're providing for a family, even with two incomes, you're saying, we're doing everything we can, and it's still not enough. And and that's how, you know, I I, I mentioned, you know, I don't have that family to worry about. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've stated over and over again, just like you, I don't know how many people are doing it right now, how they're spending more money. Maybe it's because they feel like they have job security so they can take out more debt. If you know, mm. look, nobody's going to fire me. They can't find anybody. 
which, again, if you feel your job is extremely secure, you're more likely there's a greater incentive. Economic shows a greater incentive to borrow money mm-hmm. because you feel like you're in a safe uh, you're in a, uh, a safe situation. But I, I just look at, you know, every time I go into the supermarket, it's like, wow. But the other thing is when it comes to big ticket items, items, and that's why I said I paid off my mortgage last year. I don't I wouldn't be in the I, I just I can't imagine right now wanting to buy a house right now at this time with what the financing rates cost and with the price of vehicles. You know, I was looking at the UAW deal with General Motors immediately an eight to nine hundred dollar increase in the cost of a car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is what it's going to cost is what they is is what I believe General Motors said. I forget about electric vehicles. I'm looking at the price that I paid for my vehicle six years ago compared to it now, and I'm shaking my head saying, well, you know, I wanted to get, you know, another vehicle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to get another vehicle before I die. But that vehicle, I plan on, you know, getting maybe when I retire, and I'll just put a couple of thousand miles on, and that thing will last me, you know, until I die. Mm -hmm. And I look at the price of it now. Even though I can afford it, and and I, and that's my point, I can afford it, and it's still bothering the daylights out of me. It's a totally different ball game because I've been there when you can't afford it mm-hmm. and you've got to have it. Yeah, but I mean, I've just I don't remember. And again, I was in college at the time. I actually I view it, and and maybe it's maybe it is no worse. Maybe it's just where I am right now and the value of a dollar, and it's more of a focus as you get older. But to me, this inflation is worse than what I remember in the 70s from what I had to purchase at that particular point. Well, because if you look at it, like, especially with with interest rates, if you're talking about being in a situation where you're You know, we went from 3% now to close to 8% on a 30-year. And that's why housing has slowed down. The whole purpose of raising interest rates is to slow the economy. But Jerome Powell's not serious about it. Yeah, nothing for November, I saw that. Yeah, they're not going to do anything in November. And... They're not, and and if consumer spending is still hot, that means more inflation. Now, the, you know, expected GDP for the fourth quarter is down to 1.5. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's where you see these analysts saying, we're going to see job losses. We're going to see, you know, by, and if they're right, then it could be a much steeper crash recession than anybody saw coming. And... Because you look at everything right now that's in play. We've got to have more people to expand an economy. We don't have them. The ones we have don't really want to do what they do. You got more quiet quitting. You can't find enough workers. You're having to close locations because you can't staff it. And then take interest rates. All right, well, I can't buy a house. I can't move. No one's moving right now. Unless you're forced to for a job, 
No one's moving in terms of buying a house, certainly. No one wants to take on an 8% mortgage when they've got a 3% mortgage right now. They're not going anywhere. So unless you have cash, you're not going to make that purchase. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio, and he is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Well, uh, you saw Netanyahu yesterday. Uh, you know, he 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 put out a a kind of uh, prime minister speech that you would expect. Yeah. You know, we're going to war. Yeah. This is war. Yeah. And you know, say what you want. And you know, we talked about the 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 uh, liberals in the media yesterday talking about, well, how do you know Israel's going to follow the Rules of the law of war. Yeah. And it's like, all right, you're going to ask the question, but it's not going to get you anywhere, not even with the United States. But the one question that the ABC reporter asked, the president keeps talking and saying is Israel, why does he continue to say it? Does he believe that Israel is not going to follow it? And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Now, we knew that he would be trying to walk that tightrope. Yeah, right. We knew it. Yeah, Democrats are all walking the tightrope right now. Mm-hmm. We support Israel, but uh, they have to protect civilians. Mm-hmm. How? Yeah. How? Right. No, they you know, can't. What, they what, can't really define it. And 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 that's the point, Eric. Somebody has to ask the. What's your parameters then? Right. What is Israel? Do you believe doing wrong? Well, civilians it, are dying. That's then it. what should they do? What are they doing right. wrong? What should they do? And they can't answer the question. No. Well, yeah, they can. Well, humanitarian pause. Yeah. Yeah, we want peace. We yeah. want peace. We want peace. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Do we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.